do you like Fargo? Because this is like sort of overhearing someone else watch it from the next room. It's time for Pod Cusack. The world out your window, some may find frightful, but inside your headphones the sound is delightful. This holiday season, not a lot you can count on, but these three things remain true. It's Christmas, Pod Cusack, and I love you. It's Christmas, Pod Cusack, and I love you. It's Christmas, Pod Cusack, and, and well, well, baby, I love you. Hey everybody, welcome to Pod Cusack. My name is Matt Strickland, your host, your shepherd your captain sailing this cusack vessel across the seas of cusack this is the only podcast dedicated to and explicitly for american actor john cusack guys first off the bat thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed that limited edition intro music that's only available for the past episodes serendipity and this one the ice harvest the only two vaguely Christmassy movies that John Cusack has made. So uh, I hope you enjoyed that music. And I will also say, starting in the new year, I will be recording many different variations on the Pod Cusack theme. And if you have a request, you want me to do the punk rock version for the High Fidelity episode or the big band version for the Paper Boy, whatever you want me to do, I am taking requests. Tweet at me, at Strickbomb. Email me and I will uh, record... A brand spanking new pod Cusack theme. This week, guys, first of all, Merry Christmas. This podcast is coming out on Christmas Day, and I and everyone here at the Pod Cusack Mansion want to wish you a very merry, very special Christmas. And for this Christmas Day, boy, do we have a doozy. It's the OGPCG, the OG Pod Cusack group. With me is comedian king duke prince and dirty rotten scoundrel colby smith <laughs> hey i'm happy to be back how's it going it's going great happy to have you back merry christmas Colb. merry christmas to you matt thank you <laughs> and it wouldn't be the ogpcg without comedian queen duchess Lady of the Lake, Lady of the Mountain, Lady of the Sky, and Dirty Rotten Scoundrel, Mary-Kate Doherty. Woo-woo! That was such an amazing intro. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for doing the pod again. I'm so pumped to be here. Are you kidding me? For this medium oh. film? Oh, man. You know, we started this podcast talking about how medium actor John Cusack is, and this movie, The Ice Harvest, 2005 crime comedy? Question mark? Uh, is one of his most medium films. Um, before we get into the film The Ice Harvest, uh, let's just check in with you guys. Has your relationship with John Cusack changed since the beginning of this podcast, Cole? I think it has. I think I'm a little more fond of him now, uh, now that I've sort of watched a couple more of the movies and really kind of looked out for him in the movies because, uh, you know, 
one of the rules of the show is that it's just it's a John Cusack movie if John Cusack is in the movie. You know, it doesn't have to be he doesn't have to be the starring role. Uh, you know, so that that opens things up. And now that I'm kind of watching movies and and looking out for what Cusack is doing and how he's fitting into everything, I think I I think my estimation of him has grown, or at least my affection for him has grown. But this is your third pod, so you've you've really mm-hmm. done some deep dives into the world of Cusack. Yeah, um, Mary, has your has your viewing of JC changed? One hundred percent. He is everywhere now. Like he is, he is just all I think about, all I hear about. Well, you do have to listen to me editing. It, the a large part of it is due to that, yeah. Because mm-hmm, we because his voice together. is constantly mm-hmm. in my apartment. Do you like him more? Yeah, and I I think I just I'm more aware of him. Life is more John Cusack every day, if that makes sense. That is sort of how I feel as well. I do think I always had a, a little bit of a fondness for him, and uh, now I think. I maybe am a full-on fan. I don't know. We have to wait till maybe episode 20 or 30 to really, for me to really explore my Cusack infatuation. Um, mm. But let's talk about the film that we all watched. The movie is The Ice Harvest. This is one of those movies that I think it falls into that genre uh, that I'm like calling, actually, Blank is a Christmas movie. And it's one of those, it like has Christmas music, it takes place on Christmas, doesn't really have anything to do with Christmas besides that as like the backdrop setting. But, you know, I think Die Hard was the original one of these that has since transcended and is now like a beloved, it's in the canon of Christmas movies. And this is one of those like Lethal Weapon type movies. It's like, actually, Lethal Weapon's a Christmas movie. They were mostly called Christmas movies because they had the rights to some songs. Mm -hmm. I think both of them, that's the same. Correct? Lethal Weapon in this movie or Lethal Weapon in Die Hard? Legal Weapon in this movie. Right. Yeah, this is just like has one really good music drop. That's really the extent of the Christmas, I think. Yeah, they, they mention that it's Christmas a few times. Um, we hear a little drummer boy. There is a Christmas, there is a family Christmas dinner happening mm-hmm. uh, at one point in the movie. You see some lights. You maybe see a tree or two. But the real action of the movie doesn't have a ton to do with Christmas. No, it could. I mean, the only important detail is that it's an ice storm that's happening, which could easily be in February. It could easily be in, you know, you know, this is Wichita. So I don't know, March. I don't know what the weather is like there. (laughs) It's July. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's this is Kansas. That's like a whole nother universe. Uh, So, you know, I don't know what the tornado, the, you know, it's different weather is my point. Um, I will say this is also like it's a Coen Brothers movie or just it so desperately wants to be a Coen Brothers movie. And it has like a lot of superficial, like I alluded to in the cold open, has a lot of superficial similarities to Fargo. But just I think a lot of the Coen Brothers crime, it really wants desperately to be like capture that tone. Mm -hmm. And I just think it really misses the mark for me. Yeah, it like wants to do that thing that they do so well where it's just like the crime element is really just the device that leads you to all these different memorable characters, you know? But like in this one, the characters are not super distinct or memorable or really unique in any way. Um and I I think it's probably it's probably Harold Ramis's fault that that the actors don't really There are a couple like moments of like a flourish where they're like doing some fun stuff, but for the most part, everybody plays it a little like too straight. 
also. Uh, and I don't know, it just like we were saying right before we started that it just like it it's I kept waiting for it to like click into gear and it never quite like it almost gets there and it never quite does. Yeah, one hundred percent. That I was so frustrated throughout it because I continuously was playing the role of your confused mom like throughout the entire thing and i by halfway through i was like this is not my fault i have eyes on this film i am paying attention but i still halfway through i asked matt what is the name of john cusack's character and i was like this isn't my fault like this is just not telling me anything like i don't know what this plot is is giving me well, it simultaneously has too little plot and too much plot. Right. Like yeah. there are whole plot lines that just go nowhere. Like the councilman, the naked picture of the councilman. That just a lot is made of that in the first half hour, and then it's just never spoken of again. Can we also talk about that picture? Well, well, let's get to it when we get to <laughs> okay, it. Okay, I'd love to put a like pin in that. <laughs> I had so many feelings. There's just no. I don't well, know. One 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 quick thing too, Matt. Since we're talking about stuff that this move, um, it kind of had an Elmore Leonard kind of feel to me as well. Uh, in, oh, in a way very that, like, much so. Again, it just like it didn't quite hit those same highs. Where like, yeah, like his books are crime books, but like really, he has this like flair for dialogue and like the again the characters are like all super memorable. And it felt like the kind of setup that he would do, you know, where it's just like it's kind of like a weird like twist on a buddy crime caper and it's just like it's this thing where like the crime has happened and this guy like John Cusack's character's one job is to just chill until it's time to get out of town and like he can't do it and that's like that feels like an Elmore Leonard type of plot line to me but again it just like it doesn't congeal in the same way that his that his books do and even like a lot of the movies made from his books do I think Cusack's performance and the movie in general it's it never goes far enough in any mm. one direction. You know, it's not slapsticky enough to be a slapstick funny performance. It's not cool enough to be like a cool guy dark movie performance. It's just, and the movie is just, it's not that funny, nor is it that dark. It never goes in any direction with conviction. It's just yeah. sort of. You would floats. say that it's like it's a movie that doesn't yeah. know what it wants to be. Yeah. yeah. The entire time. Or maybe it knows. Maybe Harold Ramis is like, this is my chance to be a dark crime movie, but right. he doesn't have the balls to actually follow through. I right. think. No follow through go, sorry, right go ahead, Mary. Right. And I'm most attracted to confidence. No, I'm just saying it just wasn't a confident, like, it wasn't confident. I, I think it's, I think Harold Ramis bears the biggest blame for this movie not quite working. <laughs> Where is he right now? <laughs> He's dead. Yeah, okay. I'm picking on a. <laughs> I, I'm picking I on a dead we man, ultimately. <laughs> but so listen up, Pod Cusack Nation. Text us where Harold Ramis is buried, and we will dig him up, and I will say this to his face. You're an utter fucking failure. <laughs> oh, that's such a strong feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Caddyshack, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. This. Groundhog doesn't Day, matter. fuck you. <laughs> you. You fucked up the ice harvest. You fucked up your life. <laughs> Oh, that's a strong stance on a mediumly bad film. Uh, and you know, Groundhog <laughs> well, Day is one I of my favorite feel like, movies. I just feel like everything was there. Like the script is like pretty fun, and like the actors are pretty fun, and like just like the the setups are cool, the sets are cool. It's just like it, it just doesn't quite like I don't know what it like. It has to be the director's the only explanation. Like everything else is kind of working for me. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? Let's get into the plot. Uh, first off, some stats. As always, we talk about the Cusack number. That's how many Cusacks are in this film. 
The Cusack number of the Ice Harvest is one. Only one Cusack. John's the only guy. It made $10 million worldwide on a budget of $16 million. So I, it doesn't have, it didn't lose enough money, I think, to be considered a bomb, but it was not a success. And that sort of makes sense when you, because no one ever thinks about this movie or it's, it's just not bad enough to be remem- memorable and it's not good enough to be memorable. Um, this is the shortest IMDb trivia page I've ever seen. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's for the for the Tales from the Trivia page segment. There's just really not much to go on. There's so little. Um, it has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 47, which I think is is like perfect. That's what I would think. This is like slightly yeah. below like a 50%. I agree. I think that's fair. This is Charlie Arglis, the most talented mob lawyer in all of Kansas. Did I mention to you that I really wish you wouldn't do that? Yeah. That guy you thought might be looking for you? He is. Just act normal for a few hours and we're home free. Yo, ho, ho! It's good to see you! It's Christmas. Everybody's nice on Christmas. Only morons are nice at Christmas. What's that, Roy? Damn, I took his gun. Guess he must have another one. Must have. Ice Harvest. We open on that Focus Features logo, which I'll just say it really made me feel nostalgic because I feel like when I was in high school, all of the cool indie movies like Lost in Translation, uh, Eternal Sunshine, Brokeback Mountain, Broken Flowers, these like sort of cool movies starring Bill Murray, you know, they they were all Focus Features and I, I hit that that logo hit the screen and i was like all right i'm in this is this maybe is going to be a fun ride uh and then it has then almost immediately i started having second thoughts because it's john cusack cold staring out on like a barren frozen midwestern landscape with like pretty noirish vo like from a classic noir movie and then i was just like oh man you want to be fargo so fucking bad and uh, that does not bode well. And then, you know, directed by Harold Ramis comes on the screen. I'm like, okay. And then the first actual scene is Billy Bob Thornton and John Cusack in the car outside of a bank. And they have just committed some sort of a bank robbery. Well, not even a robbery. They've, it's never explained how they got $2 million illicitly. It's never really explained how or you know what the they almost flaunt how little how few specifics there are about what the crime was like they say oh yeah like me and vic bill or uh, billy bob thornton's character me and vic have been have been skimming money from like bill whatever the 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 mob boss but then there's like this scene in the restaurant it's like not too far away from where we're talking about where john cusack has this monologue where he's just like like you had the guts. I had the brains. I'm the one who showed you how to skim that money. And like, they don't say what yeah. they did. <laughs> like, it's yeah. Do you think by any chance that Harold Ramis just had no clue what money laundering was or is? <laughs> it was in the I script, it, and he was just like, "Well, this is just too confusing." <laughs> this is very. Yeah, he confusing. just puts a big <laughs> red X through it. <laughs> I'll make this up as I go. <laughs> no one will. This will go over everyone's head. <laughs> I have the understanding Harold Ramis of this is going through the script, tenuous. taking out all the best parts is so funny to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> the script is written by the same guy who did Nobody's Fool, the Paul Newman movie oh, that me and Mary treasure. love. 
Uh, so it's and they're he's very a, different, very different. Uh, but in a weird way, small town, cold, great characters. They've got some stuff mm-hmm. in, mm. in common, but it doesn't even matter. He's a good writer who can write. Yeah. So and just another. So Harold got confused Harold. again. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is. Just I don't know. I, I think the setup is so cool. This it's just like it just doesn't. God, it's like so frustrating to talk about this. Movie. <laughs> this movie had everything going for it. It's like, all right, it's set in Wichita, Kansas, middle of winter. Awesome, bleak. Like, like I love a movie set in the winter time, especially if it's like a crime caper. Like, there's just something so like desperate about it, and it's just like. Like, they've got everything out of the way. It's just like, you know, you're talking to strippers. You're blackmailing politicians. It's just like every this movie had everything, and it still didn't work. It's it's honestly more upsetting that it's just mediocre. If it was a, a flat-out oh, yeah. bad failure, I would mm-hmm. be more fond of it than it's just, like, missing the mark in the way it did. Uh, it's way more frustrating. But basically, pa, uh, John Cusack and Billy Bob, they've stolen this money. We never, you know, really understand how the mechanics of it work. And then they sort of go their separate ways. And I will say that John Cusack and Billy Bob, I feel like they are such a great pair that is wasted. Because I feel like they both have wit in a similar way, but they complement each other. Like, Billy Bob is sort of, he can play a lot of, you know, he has a lot of great range, but he's got sort of hillbilly wit and, uh, you know, Cusack is sort of more big city Chicago erudite wit. And I just feel like they mm-hmm. could be such a great combo that is sort of yeah. wasted. Can we talk about yeah, erudite wit? Sorry, go ahead, Mary. Is it erudite? No, I'm, I've never heard that before, and I was so impressed. Erudite wit. Erudite or erudite? I don't know. I, don't I love know it. Either way, don't do anything to it. I think, it's, I think it. it's erudite. Erudite. That's what I said. <laughs> Where were you but yeah, their their scene together in the restaurant is like is fun. It's just like it's a fun little. It's kind of like in a way, it's like their only real scene together as like buddies. Like mm-hmm. they're in the car before this, yeah, but they're like arguing kind of and like I don't know. And then they get the scene in the restaurant where they both have like different. They're talking cross purposes kind of, and like one of them's telling the other one to calm down, which is a great like buddy crime trope yeah. where like one guy starts to lose his nerve and the other guy's like everything's under control i just talked to bill he wished me a merry christmas <laughs> i really like that scene in the car too where they haven't discussed who's taking the money so there's that really awkward exchange <laughs> where they both put their hands on the money and he's just like oh wait did you want to well i mean you can take it if you want to but uh, it's just this really uncomfortable like they are already starting to distrust each other um, which is that that was a that was a good moment. Yeah, I would say it, during that scene, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna like this movie." Like that was a pleasure to watch both of them in that mm-hmm. moment. And I think it's you're gonna come up on something, but yeah, I I shortly learned that was not the case. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they go their separate ways after this pseudo heist, and then Cusack goes into a strip club, which. He is a sleazy lawyer for the mob, we find out. And I guess he helps run all these strip clubs as part of his his duties to to the mob mobster, which we meet in the third act. Um, and this is where we meet Connie Nielsen, the sort of the madam of the strip club. And Cusack clearly is he's got the hots for her because who wouldn't? She is a fox. Stunning. Just gorgeous. Fresh off of Gladiator. Just her stars on the rise. Danish. Did you know that? Oh. 
Danish, not Australian, as I had assumed. Hmm. <laughs> As I assumed all beautiful women are. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Can I say something about this scene? Yes. This is this is when I knew that this was not my film anymore. Is when Connie Nielsen exits the office looking like a late 90s Victoria's Secret supermodel. Mm. In lingerie top, no less. Yum, yum. And approaches John Cusack and says sexy baby talk to him. Mm. Do you know what I'm talking about when she's doing that? Flir like flirting, mm -hmm. but sexy 1940s baby talk. Well, she's got almost like doing a, a like a Melanie Griffith voice, like very yeah. like breathy baby voice. Hey, Charlie. Turns out that'd be the nicest thing a gal could get. Mm. And it's like, what's wrong with you, you adult woman? But then she also was supposed to be the manager of a strip club in Wichita. She looks like that. And then when she's leaving the bar, she says to the bartender, I'll be back to close. Not unheard of. Not possible. This is no longer believable. No one that hot has ever closed anything. Not even a <laughs> jar. Not even a jar. <laughs> they leave shit open and shit just closes for them. For real. Yeah, that just is not realistic. That scene is where uh, we had to turn on subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> Because she is doing that like breathy thing where everything's just like, you got that photo of the councilman and cupcake? Why, Charlie, I th you shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I feel like she thinks she's in like a 1940s noir. Yeah. And like yeah. Cusack is like, oh, this is sort of a modern day Elmore Leonard. And like everyone's either doing like a Tarantino thing or an Elmore Leonard thing mm -hmm. or like a Howard Hawks noir thing. And it just it doesn't gel. Um, I also noticed in this scene, John Cusack has reached the stage of his life where he looks like he's always wearing eyeliner, <laughs> which I think yeah. happens yeah. to some middle-aged men is like their their lashes, their bottom lashes, just something happens where they just always look like they're wearing eyeliner. Do you think it has anything to do with the puffiness that occurs Maybe. later in life for men? Maybe. Maybe his eyes got puffy and the lashes sort of fold in on themselves and looks like... Yeah, or hear this, they get so puffy, they are like, how can I save this mass of flesh? And um, think that making the eyes pop out more will help. So you think he just is wearing mm. eyeliner? He literally is wearing eyeliner. <laughs> that would make sense. But I do think like moving forward, it was just, a there's a lot of eyeliner in Cusack's yeah. future. This is, the, yeah. this is the end of relevance for Cusack. I think 2005 is like... I mean, he's you know he was an A-list star, so he's he's always a name. But I think this is this is the last gasp of him as like a leading man, super relevant actor. Then Mike Starr walks in, who we know from copious amounts of mob movies. But he's the hitman or or the muscle for the mobster that John Cusack is working for, and he's looking for Cusack. And so this is sort of now there's the specter of danger over this crime, and all they were gonna do was. They just had to keep it cool through the night, him and Billy Bob, and then they were going to escape to different places the next day on a on an airplane. But now, like, it's seemingly the mob knows what's going on, and, and yeah. now it, tensions are getting a little more uh, um, high. Also, a bit of a, 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 a tying into the Coen Brothers thing, um, Mike Starr was in Miller's Crossing. Yes, that's what I'm thinking of. He was Frankie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which... 
that's maybe the greatest Coen Brothers movie. I only knew him from the film Dumb and Dumber. Mm, oh yes, he's the, he's the man who eats the spicy. Yeah, he's the man who you who wants to hear the most annoying sound in the world. <laughs> yeah, mm, that's probably a greater film than even Miller's Crossing. Right. I only I watch. I mean, that shit rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I like to have fun. But this is when you know he shows up and Cusack gets you know gets a little spooked. Yeah. So this is when he goes to meet Billy Bob in the steakhouse, which is just a tremendous Midwestern steakhouse. Gorgeous. And we get that scene that you were talking about earlier, Colby, uh, where, you know, Billy Bob gets to say things like, don't go squirrely on me. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which is. Oh, and I will say just for you guys, this scene. There's an outtake that's online of this scene playing out where Billy Bob is just doing his Sling Blade character, <laughs> which is worth oh a watch. Highly God. recommend. <laughs> no, I ain't having dinner with her. Hell no. She had enough dinner in her lifetime. Like I said, she's a big old fat gal. Oh, no. It's really good. <laughs> I, uh, I do recommend I love it. Oh, this guy, Billy Bob. This is his. If without Sling Blade, what is he? Like where? What is like? Like everybody, every big actor has their like great role, right? Like there's this very famous like James Walcott column. This like why Alec Baldwin is not like at the like at the George Clooney like Matt Damon, Brad Pitt level of like big Hollywood star and it's because he like didn't have the like defining like leading man role like the closest he comes is is Glengarry Glenn Ross speech but then he's like not in the movie after that it's like a moment it's not like a big role like Billy Bob Thornton he gets his big role is sling blade like what like what well first of all Colby sling blade fucking rocks (laughs) all right okay I haven't seen it in a long time I don't feel the need to revisit really uh I do want to see him mm-hmm. wield a lawnmower blade <laughs> like it's his fucking <laughs> job. Uh, just because, you know, how how often do you w- want to do that to people, you know? But the point I'm trying to make is this is his one claim to, to, to like, forever stardom. Like, I don't know what the role is. If you take away Sling Blade, like, what, what, what makes the case for Billy Bob Thornton? I don't know. Bad Santa. Angelina okay, Jolie's ex-husband. Okay. All right, you know what? I'm going to back down immediately and say it's Bad Santa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is an iconic role. You're right. You know what? You're When you're right, you're right. And you're right about that. That was a big one. Yeah. Or like, like you said, Mary, that part where they get off at the red carpet and Billy Bob and Angelina are together, and they're interviewing Billy Bob, and he's like, "We fucked in the car oh, on the way in here." The car. And then I was like, "You're the coolest person I've ever seen." It's crazy to think back. Young, hot Angelina Jolie was like, "I could bang anyone in Hollywood. I want to bang Sling Blade." It's so bizarre. It's, so, it's bizarre. so strange. Is it only because they were were they in Pushing Tin together? They were, yeah. That's, I think, how the 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 sex started. You know who else was in Pushing Tin? John Cusack. Whoa! Hey. hey. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> All right. So Cusack, okay. so Cusack and Billy Bob are in this 
gorgeous steakhouse. And this is when we also learn what Billy Bob's role is. He is a, I think, a strip club proprietor, or a, oh, he was a pornographer. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, they don't make it very crystal clear, but I think that's what we take away. One of the main things yeah. we take away. And we also take away that he has a fat wife who he's not too fond of. Oh, yeah, and she's on the friggin' Subway diet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that's... Ever... <laughs> that, well, this was that back is... when the Subway diet was something to aspire to <laughs> and not just how a pedophile got famous. I mean, reg- yeah. like, take the pedophile thing out of there, let alone to go on a diet where you eat, like, three footlongs a day. Sign me up. <laughs> Do you think that did anything for them? Yeah, well, I mean, that pedophile did get skinny. He, Yeah, that's true. That he did. We also learned that this is where we learned Cusack is the lawyer for the mobster, and he, they cannot leave Wichita because of the rain, but they have the plan to get on a plane, blah, 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 blah. I think also in this scene is when we get introduced to the best character in the movie. I think we can all agree the one... The best performance in the movie, for sure. Oh, hell yeah. The best performance and, yeah, the one true unadulterated bright spot, I think, in this movie, who is Cusack runs into a very drunk Oliver Platt at Mm -hmm. a party of lawyers. I guess there's a bunch of lawyers, and Oliver Platt keeps being like, he's a mob lawyer, blah, 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 and won't, and Cusack's like, I wish you wouldn't say that. He won't shut up, and he's just this boisterous loud really injects some energy into this movie and it reminded me just what an underappreciated gem oliver platt is Love i completely agree i think he's great i think he's he, he's great in this and he really just like sort of uh by coincidence uh i i rewatched a couple episodes of bored to death recently and he plays like tim uh, ted danson's nemesis in this he's like the editor of like a different like uh new york magazine and he's just like he's just so fun he can like really just show up he does a ton of different projects throughout his career he was also like a random character in the movie year one if anyone remembers the movie Harold Ramis's last movie what'd you say harold ramus he directed the ice harvest then year one and then that was his last and movie. then and okay well kind of a Woo, Woo, bummer. okay but anyway <laughs> we're coming for you harold ramus but yeah Oliver Platt, Oliver Platt's fun. He's great. He like really, like you said, Matt. He injects life into the proceedings here. Yeah, it's, he's so charming and such good witty banter, and the way he moves is so fluid, and he just feels so comfortable. Yeah, he has that fat man grace that yeah, like, he does. Jack Black yes. or Chris Farley has totally um, where he yeah he really can move his body in 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 a. I don't know, a graceful way. Yeah, and it's always refreshing to see someone who can play drunk realistically. Yes, that's Mm. a really good point. So many people go way too over the top with the drunk, and yeah, he's he seems like this guy could actually be. Yeah, yeah. They they have a scene where they're they're driving like John Cusack is driving him home, and Hallie pointed this out. She was like, he is he is kind of like barely keeping his eyes open like that's such a great like drunk guy at the end of the night detail is just kind of like fading off uh and like fighting it at the same time yeah definitely he fucking rocks and he pops up again and again through the movie this is also the scene where cusack goes to the bathroom a lot happens in this scene cusack goes to the bathroom and we see another incidence of this phrase that keeps coming up over and over throughout the movie as wichita falls so falls wichita falls which is a reference to, I looked it up, 
a jazz album from the 70s, which yes. doesn't connect at all or matter <laughs> at all. And this, you know, Wichita Falls is like a Texas town and Wichita is obviously like this Kansas town and it does not mean anything. Yet again, a choice that will be even more befuddling for the viewer. It seems like a lot of this movie was just like, we they wanted to make it deeper they wanted to make it more cohen-esque they wanted it to mean something and i feel like if this movie was had lower aspirations it would have been a much better movie if it was just a more of a I, grimy I yeah. yeah crime movie took itself less seriously so we get that stupid fucking line um and then jc drives <laughs> oliver platt home and oliver platt is married to John Cusack's ex-wife. So John Cusack's <laughs> ex-wife was cheating on him with Oliver Platt, then they got married, and instead of feeling mad at Oliver Platt, he just feels sympathy for him because it's one of those movies that's really like, man, chicks, right? Chicks fucking suck. They're the worst. Yeah. There's no room for men anymore. Oliver Platt says it near the end of the movie. There's no life for men anymore. All there is is pussy and money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I hear that and I just think, sounds like a pretty good life. Yeah. <laughs> pussy and money, man. That's Show like. Show me where this is. That's two of the top three things. <laughs> the third one, of course, is rock is and pod roll. Is <laughs> What? Yeah, is pod What'd you say? <laughs> what did you say? I said pod Cusack. I said rock and roll. Which he doesn't even care about his own show. Well, a lot of people think Pod Cusack is synonymous with rock and roll. So, <laughs> all right, then we meet John Cusack's former in-laws, his ex-wife, and his shitty fucking kids. These kids fucking Oof. suck. His son is the worst. His son is a school yeah. shooter. Yeah, big time school shooter energy. Biggest <laughs> nostrils of any child I've ever oh seen. Oh my god, you could put a silver dollar up those things sideways. <laughs> I don't know why John Cusack goes into the house with Oliver Thank Platt. you. Me neither at all. That didn't make any I sense. Assume, I would assume it's to see his children on Christmas Eve. Okay. I buy that, sure. Uh, but they, I don't know. They seem very uh, surprised to see him. He also doesn't seem that fond of his children. He doesn't no. even approach them. No. Yeah, the little daughter approaches them. Up. His daughter runs over to him, and his his son is just like, "Fuck you! You're not my dad." And then, which is, which is great. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you could explain it as like, "Oh, he thinks he's leaving town, so he wants to see his kids for one last time." But it's not really like you saying that just now, twenty four hours after I watched the movie, is the first time that's made sense to me. So, I think it's a, it's a failing. Yeah, for sure. There seemed to be no connection between him and those kids. We don't need any more depth to John Cusack's character. He can just be a sleazy lawyer. And it's right. just like, yeah. it, like, again, if this movie was took itself less seriously, was more of a quote-unquote shittier genre movie, it would have been a much better movie. Mm -hmm. um, so Cusack, there's just an awkward scene. I do like Oliver Platt plops down at the Christmas dinner, just pulls off a turkey leg. With and gloves on. Yeah. Oh, that was disgusting for some reason. You just If you pulled it off with your bare hands, that's one thing. I'd be like, human being. But if you do it with gloves on, it's like doctor and insane. It was so <laughs> gross. But I loved it. Yeah, he like really dug in. <laughs> doctor, this is insane. Doctor, this is a turkey. <laughs> doctor. Take your gloves off, for God's sake. Leave work at work, doctor. <laughs> 
Also, can I say white Christmas tree? Who would? Mm. E- they had a white Christmas tree. Mm. They had a white Christmas That's tree. That's a secret code for being part of the Aryan Brotherhood. Do you think so? Hey, the way that dad was acting. They get kicked out of Christmas dinner because, you know, Platt is really drunk. Uh, and then Cusack and him are driving away. And Cusack has one of these really deep monologues about his dad and his uncle and how they were twins. And then they both died a day apart, but one lived a really good life and one lived a really... And it's just like him being like, I don't believe in anything nihilistic. We I all like this moment. Same. Yeah. What did you think? I thought it was okay. I thought in a better movie, it would have felt better, but the movie yeah. didn't like earn this moment. And it felt a little bit like the uh, your favorite monologue from the film Identity, <laughs> which we talk about on episode one of Pod Cusack. So <laughs> right, if you right. haven't heard that, go back and listen to that. But Cusack is a very another similarly emotional monologue that he does in the exact same tone, yeah. vocal tone. I, w- I would have to say, I mean, that's a good point. I did not connect those two, but that makes so much sense because I was just bored listening to it. Yeah, I don't. I didn't believe him, and I didn't care. I liked the message of it because I'm all for like nihilistic life is meaningless <laughs> yeah. messages. I love not caring. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I just, but I don't think I just don't think the movie earned it. Well, you liked it, Cole. I liked it. I, I do. Th- I agree with you, though. I feel like it could have hit a little harder if everything around it were a little more defined um, and like blown out a little more. But um, I liked that it. Kind of went for. That's where I think the movie kind of announces its its theme a little mm. bit. Uh, and I think it came at a good time because up until this point, I was kind of like, why do we even want John Cusack to get away with this? You know what I mean? Right. Like, we like him. Like, he's a likable actor. But, like, why do we want this guy to do this? And at that point, I was like, okay, because, like, fucking nothing matters. Like, all right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like I said, I'm all for any, like, nihilistic... But that was another thing where it was like desperately trying to tap into the Coen Brothers nihilism that yeah. like pervades a totally. lot of their movies, uh, and I just don't think it. I think it, it it's it's reach, it's something about the grasp and the reach. What is the phrase? It exceeded the reach, exceeded the grasp. The, the grass yeah. is grass. The grass is grass. Um, I but I would say, like for being. If he's making this nihilistic statement and that is kind of fleshing out his character. I don't believe him because he cares about so many things he shouldn't care about, a.k.a. Connie Nielsen, and he also is like a spineless kind of bumble. So it's like, if you didn't care, like, Billy Bob could be a nihilist for sure, but, like, he, John Cusack obviously cares about stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And he's like, like everybody gives him shit for it, the whole movie of him like going around being so nice to everybody yeah. on his last night in town. Yeah, you're right. It does not really match up with without, like everything else he's got going on. I am on. here to change views. <laughs> Look, I, I'm walking a lot of stuff back tonight, okay, so great. I'm happy to... <laughs> and I mean, that's the whole point of Pod QSAP, is we, we, we here at Pod QSAC really challenge your preconceived notions about life uh, and film and everything in between. And how to eat a turkey. Uh, Then he goes to meet up with Billy Bob Thornton at Billy Bob's brothel and finds blood and a severed finger. And so something has happened to Billy Bob Thornton. 
Cusack goes to Billy Bob's house, even though he had seen a severed finger in Billy Bob's brothel, assuming that Billy Bob was dead. Now it's like, whoa, Billy Bob's alive. And he, Billy Bob has locked Mike Starr in a trunk. Not a trunk of a car, like a, a, a luggage trunk. Yeah, a footlocker. Mm-hmm. But this this scene has the two, in my opinion, funniest parts of the movie. Oh, the yeah, first definitely. W- the first of which is when... Roy Gillis, Mike Starr, says he's going to kill John Cusack whenever he gets out of the trunk. And then, like, a few lines later in the conversation, he says he's, like, the best hope he has of getting out of this. And Cusack goes, you just said you were going to kill me. And there's a beat, and Mike Starr goes, I didn't mean it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is really funny. And then, shortly after this, you get... Billy Bob Thornton wailing on the trunk with a golf club. (laughs) Just telling him to shut up over and over again. I'm dying at this. I love this kind of thing. Legit, it reminded, speaking of the Coen Brothers thing again, it reminded me of John Goodman wailing on the neighbor's car in Big Lebowski, where it's just like, you see what happens, Larry? You see what happens, Larry? That is the, that is, that scene is maybe the hardest I've laughed at any movie and uh, this this remind, this took me there in a nice little way. Does it reach those heights? Of course not. But uh, uh, I was having a good time. <laughs> I agree that this is the tone that really needed to be yeah. indulged. Yes, if more. the whole movie was like if this, the, it would yeah. be so fun. Yeah, if they if if Harold Ramis had just leaned into the comedic banter, that Oliver Platt scene, that comedic banter plus this scene. Were the two highlights, I thought. Agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So they do want to dispose this body. So Billy Bob and, J- and Cusack take Roy Gillis, the Mike Starr character, in this trunk to a lake, like a frozen lake. But the whole time on the drive, Mike Starr is pitting them against each other. And he's saying, Cusack, he's the one who actually killed his own wife. He's going to kill you, too. He wants the money all to himself. And it's it's inflaming the tensions that are already there and the distrust between these two people. And Cusack is more and more thinking maybe he, Mike Starr is right and Billy Bob is mm. about to kill me and put me in the lake. And then they yeah. have the showdown on the dock. Where the doc sequence, I think, very good. Yeah, Sorry, go on. No, very yeah. exciting, very tense. It becomes increasingly clear that he is going to kill John Cusack. And then both Mike Starr and the trunk and Billy Bob all fall into the freezing cold water. And now Cusack has the upper hand. Mm. Yes. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I think this is fun. I think the d- the device of like having the guy in the trunk and he's like talking, but you can't really see him, and he's trying to pit them against each other is like yeah, really, really fun. fun. And then, yeah, I just think the doc sequence is like I think it's the best directed sequence in the movie. I think there's mm-hmm. a there's a fun like bird's eye view shot at the beginning of it. Some fun perspectives of like Billy Bob in the water, and you kind of see from his point of view like John Cusack kind of like tip his like mm-hmm. the top of his head over the edge of the dock before like, you know, dumping the carcass of his dead wife onto him. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I was most engaged with the movie during this like chunk. It would also be like the time when John Cusack was the most fleshed out. And mm-hmm. when the first time I rooted for him, because when he was yeah. like, well, going back to the car to check on 
maybe where the money was what was he checking yeah he was he thought the money was in the car right and he like very dramatically says goodbye to billy bob then goes sees the money not there and then sprints back down the dock to be like wait 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 let me save you let me save you and it's like (laughs) immediately has a change of heart and i thought that is like a really funny moment too yeah it was like seeing like the foibles of him were no longer annoying and now it was kind of understandable like he had just done that cool move where he like was like i don't want you to die alone and then pushed gladys over and i was like good for you buddy but then yeah and then he foibled and then it was like oh i am rooting for you i do want you to succeed so after this scene which i agree with both of you is sort of the high point of the movie uh, connie nielsen's character calls cusack tells him to come over and this is when we meet you know this sort of this is sort of the big third act finale and we meet the mob boss that everyone's been talking about and Cusack rolls in uh and it's fucking Randy Quaid (laughs) (laughs) all I wrote down was Randy Quaid (laughs) and I feel like this is probably one of the last movies Randy Quaid made before his brain became just like a runny egg yolk yeah before he absolutely loses it when we meet him Cusack goes into the office at the strip club. Connie Nielsen is duct taped to the chair, mm-hmm. right? And he's like, oh, where's Bill? You know, where's Randy Quaid? And you hear him in the bathroom. And I really wanted him to come out of the bathroom and go, shitter was full. <laughs> <laughs> See, that would have been a better movie. Yeah, that would have made it 100% better. Uh, I just can't believe it's Randy Quaid. I see Randy Quaid, and I'm just like, ah, come on. <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> you know what I wrote down? As soon as I saw him, I wrote down Randy Quaid. And then I wrote down, Dennis Quaid looks so good. How mm. Randy Quaid? <laughs> and you know what I mean. Like, it's so confusing. Like, he does yeah. look like a human fish. Mm-hmm. Dennis Quaid is very attractive. How did they come from the same situation? But you can see the resemblance is the crazy thing. Like, they look alike, but Dennis Quaid is so handsome. So handsome. I mean, Randy. Jeans. Jeans are nuts, yeah. They're wild shit. I mean, I'm gorgeous, and I have some real stinkers in my family. (laughs) Just kidding, if you're listening. Just kidding. I love you. I love you. So, I mean, we can just wrap it up pretty quick. There's, you know, there's a shootout. There's some tension. Gun gets drawn. Then gun gets taken away. Someone gets stabbed in the foot. Bang, bang, boom. Eventually, they kill Randy Quaid and Connie Nielsen and uh, JC go back to her place. And it's seemingly like he's got the girl. He's going to escape. And then we learn one of the final twists, uh, which is Connie Nielsen has the money which means that she was in cahoots with Billy Bob Thornton from the get-go, and she's about to kill Cusack. But then Cusack gets the jump on her and kills her first. Can I say I was really annoyed with the piecing together flashbacks. How did everyone else feel? I always don't. I always hate that. I didn't care for it because we didn't see those things. Like... It would have been better if, like, we had seen the back of her head walking out or, like, any of those things, but all of them were unseen to us. Yeah, yeah. it's a little bit of a cheat. You could do that in any yeah. movie to make a situation possible. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's 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 BS. It's bogus. Yeah, it it only works if like you're right, Mary. It's like it only works if like he kind of half suspected something all along, or like thinks he sees her in the yeah. restaurant, but like it's not her, or like you know, um, it, only if it like like comes together at the end in a more obvious way. Yeah, like, like I this was is right in front clue. of my nose the whole time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then that would make us feel good because we'd be like, oh man, I saw that. And I didn't even know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get to the segment I call Q Snack. It's where we decide Cusack. Is he a snack in this movie? Um, I said yes, but I'm confused. Cause it was like I think I think by by this point, I I'm not sure. I might this might have been like the beginning of his face puff. Um and so I can't say that like I'm going to continue to view him as a snack as I see him in later films because he's only going to get puffier from here on out. Um, but his voice still does it for me. Like, it's very attractive. He was very dry throughout this whole film, which I really enjoyed. I think his outfits were great. They're a little bit gross point blank, like dark, mysterious suits, which I loved. You know what? As you're talking about him, I think he was horribly miscast in this movie. Sure. <laughs> I feel like that needed to be like, he's too cool. His voice is yeah. too cool. He needs That needs to be like William H. Macy, just to throw another like Cohen reference in it. But mm-hmm. he needs to be a little bit more weaselly, a little bit more dislikable, I think. Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's why I was confused, because he is inherently a snack, just an inherent snack. Um, But then as a character... He was spineless and weak and had very poor taste in women. Mm. And the only cool thing he did was steal that BMW and mm-hmm. push Gladys into a lake. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I don't know why I'm attracted to you. I shouldn't be. Colby? Daddy issues. <laughs> I mean, if your daddy looked like John Cusack, <laughs> sign me up, sister. <laughs> Colby, is he a snack? I don't know. I, I feel like this period of Cusack is a lot of just like him wearing clothes that don't seem to fit him, and he's always kind of like hunched over in these movies. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't know. That does not strike a confident posture for me. Um, and I'm gonna say no. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say not a snack, a meal. What okay. isn't that better? <laughs> I don't know. I think better? that's hotter. He's I puffy. Think. All right, he's not a snack. I'm going to go with Colby on this. Um, so we talk always on this show. Cusack has many quotes about how he's not very proud of his filmography, and he only has about 10 films he likes. Do we think this is one of the 10? So far, of all the <laughs> movies we've done on this show, only one has gotten into that 10. We've only had one slot filled, and that was being John Malkovich. Yeah. We, think- so wait, we, we know what the ten are, right? No, we are just assuming, and as we go okay. through the show, we're gonna we're gonna fill those slots ourselves. Yeah. I based on what we in. think he likes, and then yeah, we'll bring it to Cusack at the end of the show. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say there's no way this is one of the ones he's proud of. I agree. There's no way. I agree too. I'm a little afraid that that's wrong because I feel like he might not understand that this isn't a good movie from his vantage point Mm, mm -hmm. because he did it contrary to uh, we were talking about the last one that we did was identity together but contrary to that he had more of a 
role to be playing. He seemed a bit more invested. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that he, am I wrong? I no, could be wrong. No, I could be wrong. Uh, not at all. I mean, in that video that you sent, Matt, of, of that fan interviewing him. She goes, what drew you to the character? And he kind of looks off and goes, well, they offered it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so he might not care at all. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he remembers that he made this movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think this movie made that little of a cultural. Okay. Imprint. That's perfect. So he does. Is, this isn't like a movie that he like has distaste for. The only person. Care. The only person who remembers this movie is Randy Quaid. Because he's like, yep, that was yes. the last time anyone. <laughs> that was the last time I was I... using my brain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Randy Quaid like tells people he used to be a mob boss. Like he doesn't know it was an acting yeah. job. Yeah, he's 100%. Like, I stabbed a guy yeah, in the foot. <laughs> I'm a, I almost killed that woman. Some guy shot me with buckshot. <laughs> As Wichita Falls. <laughs> this is a segment. It's a new segment that we're going to start doing every episode. It's called Coffee, Tea, Me. <laughs> And, oh, and the like she this. in question, of course, is the one who delivered that line, the great Joan Cusack, John Cusack's sister. In this segment, we choose, if we had to recast this movie, one part with Joan Cusack, where do we think she should go? Oh, man. The bar my, manager. My, what'd you say? The bouncer? The bar mm, manager. That'd be fun. Yeah. Because we get to see her fun. beat up, you know, rude strip club patrons and yeah and i'd love to see like she could totally yell at strippers like get on the floor and you're like i just think she would kill it that's a great call we get to see her break that guy's hand in the parking lot <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a oh, great you call. know she'd give it a hundred percent that's really good damn i'm with mary on this one i think that would be mine choice as well but i would say a close second i think it'd be funny to throw her in as the ex-wife Oh, wow. Platt's new wife. <laughs> she would bring a lot more to the table for sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Damn, that's great. Or even Randy Quaid. <laughs> Actually, yeah. <laughs> It'd be fun to see him more. I think if you took a, like, put all the cast in a snow globe and just shook it up, I think you could make a more fun movie. Right. Like if totally if Billy Bob was the Oliver Platt character and if Oliver Platt was the Randy Quaid character and if like, you know, Joan Cusack was the Billy Bob character, you know, there's just you could really mix it up, I think, in a fun way. You know, what also would be fun. Uh, Joan Cusack in as John's character, mm -hmm. John as Connie Nielsen. Mm, hot. Mm, hot. I like that. Hot. Hot incestual. sibling sex. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy we live in an age that between Pornhub and Game of Thrones, just like incest has become completely mainstream now. And yeah. I'm so thankful that that, you know, those those people can finally let that, you know, their freak flag yeah. fly. Really refreshing to see that come out into the light. It's been this too I long. think should be this should be the pod Cusack drinking game for fans at home is how often when talking about Joan Cusack. Does the subject of incest come up on the show? Yeah, and is that just a thing with all siblings or just these two poor siblings? Well, I think if you're talking about recasting, it's always going to come up. I see. Because you're always going to want her to play the... What a weird casting director motto. You know incest is always going to come up when I'm casting. Let's go on to the next segment called Incest, Pro or Con? 
Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. Let's go on to the next segment. Uh, I call Who Is He Dating? And how did it affect his performance? This is an interesting one, okay? Mm. So one of Cusack's long-term relationships in his life, his one of his few long-term relationships, was from 2003 to 2009. He dated an actress named Jodie Lynn O'Keefe. This movie was filmed from the 5th of April, 2004 to the 12th of June, 2004. And in 2004, he had two dalliances. One with... Rebecca Romaine Stamos Whoa. in the last year of her marriage. Wow. And another with, according to her Wikipedia page, she is filmmaker, quote unquote, Alexandra Carey. But I think she really is just John Carey's daughter. Ah. Former Secretary of State John Carey. Wow, that's so interesting. So, either, so wait, I these see. all all three kind of coalesce in the same year? Yeah, all these things are sort of happening at the same time. So, you know, it's unclear when and what and how and who was okay with what. And, you know, this was the first year that Jodie Lynn O'Keefe and, pa- and John Cusack were dating. So maybe they weren't quite monogamous yet. Bling, blang, blah. Bing, bang, boom. Uh, but he might have had an extra relationship affair with Rebecca Romaine, who was definitely committing adultery, and with John Carey's daughter. That is also random. I mean, great for him. I, I mean, that could even make sense as to why he was so checked out and not caring and nihilistic about the film itself. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he was just like on a roll. Like, too busy. Too busy. So that line at the end, it's all about money and pussy. John Cusack's like, well, I got both those boxes checked, baby. <laughs> yeah, 100%. The next segment is a segment called Tales from the Trivia Page. Now, like Colby alluded to earlier, this is one of the most barren, as barren a wasteland as the cold country outside of Wichita that John Cusack stares off into the distance is this trivia page. There's really only one interesting piece of information on it is that uh, Harold Ramis offered the lead role to Bill Murray. Mm. Oh, that would have been very different. And Bill Murray did not return his phone calls. Oh, he just ghosted him. (laughs) Well, because apparently, you know, they had a very tense relationship over the last years of, you know, their lives of Harold Ramis's life and Bill Murray. They had a they had a, a deathbed reunion when Harold Ramis had cancer. Aww. So but I think her, this was Harold Ramis trying to extend an olive branch and offer the I think the John Cusack role, I would assume. Bill, to... come come be in my confusing, crappy film. Mm-hmm. Although I do think it would have been better if John yeah, Cusack. Would've. Bill Bill Murray makes everything better. Yeah. Bill Murray would have been great as the Randy Quaid or the Billy Bob Thornton character mm-hmm. or the Oliver Platt character. Billy Bob, I mean, Bill Murray could play any of these characters. Really, just, yeah, any, anything. It. Get him in there. Yeah. Bill Murray as all the characters. All right. Uh, let's move on to everyone's favorite segment, Swan Cusack. Here at Pod Cusack, we treat every John Cusack movie like it is a Black Swan event. Black Swan event, Black Swan event is something that is completely unforeseeable, like a Black Swan in the wild, and yet changes the course of human history like a 9-11 or like a Donald Trump becoming president or like a me starting this podcast. Colby, in what way is this movie a Black Swan event? So this movie comes out in 2005, right? Yes. And, you know, 
one year later in 2006, we get the surge in Iraq. And I don't think... I don't think that's a coincidence at all. I think George W. Bush got a screener of this movie at the White House. He heard John Cusack's monologue about how whatever choices you make, you always end up dead. And he heard that and he went, you know what? I know what you mean exactly. We're going after (laughs) whatever the hell is left in Iraq now (laughs) after three years of pillaging it. Uh, And so he just like went for broke uh, and uh, the surge in Iraq happened. I don't know if we've ever had a Swan Cusack that, that was that realistic and accurate as that one. Thank you. That was so good. I wiped my brain of all thoughts I had previously. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything for Swan Cusack? I think um, I'd have to go with uh, the uh, financial confusion that this movie set forth. Um, kind of uh, set off a, a misguided investments, which then um, led up to the f- 2008 financial crisis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because Harold Ramis did not understand what money laundering was. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> you get it? There think- were so few details as to how the crime was committed at this movie that everyone on Wall Street was like, huh, I guess we don't have to do our jobs. Okay. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I guess anything's all right. All we got to do is skim. (laughs) Yeah, they're all just, they all got really high up on skimming. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think that 2006 was the highest rate, had the highest birth rate in America of the last 20 years because Connie Nielsen looked so hot in this movie dudes everywhere <laughs> we're getting every you know this movie didn't a lot of people didn't see it it's like the velvet underground not that many people saw it but everyone who saw it went home and banged because Connie <laughs> nielsen she's just hot so we're still living through the effects of that because you know in 2025 these people will be these children will be you know 1920 and then they're gonna start changing the world baby and those are the zoomers who are gonna save this thing Yeah, the article is just like, the children of Connie Nielsen registered hundreds of thousands of voters today. Global warming. You know, the greatest generation, the ice harvest generation. (laughs) All right, our next segment is called Salon Cusack. It's one of the many segments that I invented simply because it rhymes with John. Uh, this is where we discuss not only the hair of John Cusack, but all the hair of everyone in the film. Mary, what did you think of John Cusack's hair in this film? In this film, his hair, insane. Like a magician, <laughs> like a bird, like a magician bird. Sexual, not sexual, high on top, low on the bottom, gelled. Mm. I just thought I was so confused by it. <laughs> it was like maybe it was sexual to birds or magicians, but I don't know who it was meant for. Well, this is like I, you know, like we talked about. This is like the last gasp. I think of him as a as a sexual. You know this. You know what is that? That there's that sketch, the the Amy Schumer sketch of your last fuckable day. I think this is Cusack approaching mm-hmm. that. That makes sense uh, as a leading man. He's, mm. he's and so yeah. I bet you there's you know there's a lot of product in that hair, baby. Yeah, for sure. And also I think. 
um, there's something about dyeing your hair jet black that just mm. is in, in, ends up looking impossible. Cusack is one of those guys we never talk about. You know, everyone talks about Nick Cage's hair a lot. We don't talk about John Cusack's hair and how it has been receding since 1993, and he's just been getting more elaborate hair pieces over the years. I mean, you watch John Cusack in The Grifters, and then you watch, like, 2020, 2012. I mean, it's it's like one of those things where it's he's more machine now than man. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> machine, magician, bird, man. <laughs> Do you have anything to add, Cole, on the hair? I'll tell you what. The minute I can buy some more hair, I'm doing it in a second. <laughs> I got no problem with people buying hair. But would you make it jet black? <laughs> you, you know what? Fuck yeah, I would. Just the new parts. Just you the would new glow. parts so people can see the black around the, the, the sandy blonde. <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait for that day. I think. And it's going to be, my hairline's going to be right above my eyebrows. <laughs> Very good. Like Teresa from The Real Housewives. You've heard of people having be... a five head? Colby's going to have a negative five head. <laughs> it yes, will be his eyebrows. Black hair coming straight up my forehead. <laughs> and then the brown starts. All right, PodQSAC Nation. Let's get on this GoFundMe. Yeah. Let's get Go Colby some Colby's hair. Colby's forehead black jet hair. Uh, it's so crazy that we live in a country where people have to rely on Twitter philanthropy to get hair all the way up their foreheads. <laughs> we live in a broken country. <laughs> uh, let's make it happen so we can just feel good about the world. Uh, all right. Let's move into the final segment of this great pod, QSAC. Things I like, things I hate, things I think are weird. Colby, what's one thing you liked about this movie uh one thing i like about the movie was uh billy bob thornton wailing on the trunk with the golf club that made me laugh a lot i really enjoyed that and um that is one thing i liked mary uh anything oliver platt did or said mm. hell yeah i like one thing i liked was connie nielsen's face and body. Colby, what's one thing you hated about this movie? Um, I really, what did I really hate? I think I hated the scene with his kids at the Christmas dinner the most. Right. Sure. Mary, what's one thing you hate? Um, I think it was very telling throughout this movie that there were no women at the writer's table. Um, mm -hmm. And there were two moments when that was uh, truly clear to me. One was when Billy Bob refers to the server as sweetie, mm -hmm. um, like guaranteeing he left her a, a maximum 10% tip. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other one was in the bar scene where he first meets up with Oliver Platt. Uh, and then the camera pans over to this man, this man surrounded by women who looks like light purple space Ken and like, <laughs> no, no woman would ever find him attractive. And then he like does the whole like, look at me and look at these girls to Oliver Platt. And it's like, oh, Jesus, no, uh, that, there was like seven good looking women looking at him. I forgot about that guy. That guy did look like Mark McGrath. Yes, was yes, yes. By a truck. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Very Sugar Ray. 
Yeah, that guy rocked. Yeah. Uh, one thing I hate about this movie is uh, that we didn't get to see enough of Connie Nielsen's beautiful face and body. <laughs> you have to call her. <laughs> Colby, what's one thing you think is weird? Uh, one moment I thought was very weird was when he first gets pulled over by the cop and he's, his car skids out of control for a second. And then the car, the cop comes up to him and he just goes, Hey, I I didn't realize how slick it was back there. And then the cop goes, eh, don't worry about it. Well, what else is going on? (laughs) (laughs) It's a completely like unexplained, unjustified moment. It's bizarre. It haunts me now. That makes so much sense. They must have spent so much money on having that happen, and it didn't so need strange. to be there. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it adds nothing. <laughs> yeah, so much. Like eighty percent of this movie, you could say it adds nothing. That's true. Yeah. This movie could have been a half hour long. Mary, what's one thing you think is weird? So many things, Randy Quaid, but... Um, yes, very. He's a strange... Everyone's bird. hair. Mm. But I, I think the, the one moment... Oh, yeah, Billy Bob's hair. What is up with that <laughs> no. wig? That's the weirdest, <laughs> most terrible wig. That wig was ravaged by cats and then put on his head. Like, that was not groomed in any way. Uh, but the when Randy Quaid stabs John Cusack in the foot with the knife, mm-hmm. I understand that that's painful. But I do also understand that it's a knife in your foot, not a knife in your stomach. And his reaction was knife in stomach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that was extremely confusing to me. And I wrote down, does John think stomach is foot, foot is stomach? Mm. (laughs) Like, I I was like, you're playing this all wrong, man. He looked like he was going to throw up and couldn't move. (laughs) Right. I know. And we've been watching a lot of Naked and Afraid recently (laughs) on the Discovery Channel. And so much way worse shit happens to them. And they're not even wearing shoes. I'll tell you this. John Cusack's character couldn't survive 21 days out in the woods naked and afraid. No, no. Also, oh, also. He thinks foot is stomach. (laughs) (laughs) Also, he thinks foot is stomach. Uh, But also, excuse me, was this a BMW commercial? Oh, Oh yes, mm-hmm. I was Definitely. like, "What are you doing? You There's can't do this." There's a lot this. of weird product placement in this movie. I don't like when when movies do that. Speaking of product placement, that brings me to my thing that is weird. He runs into the strip club bouncer again in the final scene, and mm-hmm. the strip club bouncer is taking his kids to Six Flags in the middle of winter. You're going to an outdoor theme park. I don't think so, buddy. Okay, if I know anything about roller coaster construction, which I don't, I would say that you can't run those things in winter. They'll freeze over. They you can't you can't. Yeah, it's a very seasonal um, park. No way. And so that makes me think that they just got paid some money from Six Flags to just be like, I don't know, just throw give us throw us a mention. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Bullshit. Yeah. Insane. He, if they had said Disney, that would have made all the difference. It probably was Disney in the script because Disney, tropical, warm, that's fine. Six Flags, I mean, come on. You know, the only thing I'll buy that they were selling, freaking Oliver Platt. God. He's, how much does he cost? God, he's tremendous. <laughs> he's one of those actors that will never get the credit that he is due. He is yeah. as good as Meryl Streep, and I will, I will die on that hill. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, Oliver Platt could do 
Ricky and the Flash, <laughs> but Meryl Streep could not do year one. <laughs> and yeah, that great. is the perfect note to end this wonderful podcast on. Thank you guys both for returning the OG PCG at it again. Uh, Colby, where can we find you on the internet? Well, first of all, let me say how happy I am to be back. And second of all, uh, people can find me on Twitter at Colby J. Smith, and they can check out my new podcast with Amir Khan called Honey Baby Sweetie Love. I've listened to it. It is worth your time, worth your energy, and it won't take that much energy to get onto your freaky, greasy little iPhone. Check it out. Mary, where can we find you on the internet? You can find my art at MK Doherty Art. Not fart. Mm. On yeah, there was Instagram. a lot of confusion in the last episode. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do not Full record my again. <laughs> Call back. <laughs> That's it. All right, <laughs> you can go to my website. I don't know. Look me up, Google, and you can find me, Matt Strickland, on Twitter at Strickbomb. Uh, and please, if you're listening to this, that means you made it to the end. That means you must be somewhat of a fan. So please give us a like, give us a subscribe. It really helps us out. Uh, thank you so much. And John, I know you're listening. I love you. Just